welcome to Intersect Where Church Meets Culture. I'm Josh Desch, the lead pastor at Northeast Presbyterian Church in Columbia, South Carolina. And I am joined as always by the buoyant Betsy. Hey, everybody. She's delightful and you can't keep her down. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, we are back here. And folks, I am absolutely delighted to have a very special guest on with us today, Dr. Mohab Hanna. We know him as Mo. Mo, thank you so much for joining us today. It is my pleasure. I am very excited to do this, and I'm looking forward to our conversation. All right. Wonderful, wonderful. This is a guest, folks, that Betsy and I have wanted to have on for some time, probably since the beginning of the podcast. Mm -hmm. And Mo, uh, if you'll please forgive me, I have to let our audience know some of your credentials. And I I know that that's not something that you would uh, want known, but... But before I do that, let me go ahead and just give the title of the episodes here today, a two-part episode here with uh, Dr. Mohanna. Are we in a teen mental health crisis? Okay, Mm -hmm. let me say the title one more time. Here in the United States of America in the year 2021, are we in a teen mental health crisis? Now, why is Dr. Mohanna Uh, specifically qualified to speak to this? Well, he is a uh, doctor, of course. He's a psychiatrist. He is board certified in child, adolescent, and adult psychiatry. He completed his training in child and adolescent psychiatry at the John Hopkins University School of Medicine. Uh, He is a published author. He's a published author of the book, Making the Connection, A Parent's Guide to Medication and ADHD, He grew up in northern New Jersey, and that's where he is currently practicing, and that's where we had the joy of getting to know Mo and his family, Mm -hmm. and uh, he also loves spending time with his wife and their three kids, and he's coached locally both baseball and basketball, and Mo, can I I go ahead and tell everybody that you're a huge New York Yankees fan? Ooh. Of course. (laughs) That's not going to make you popular down here, though. (laughs) Well, you know what, though? I, th- I, th- I think it will, Betsy. I think it will. Well, I don't know. The Yankees are America's team. You should know that. Everybody well, loves a winner. How many World Series have the Yankees won, Mo? Is it 27. Like, uh, 27. Wow. 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 I grew up cheering for the Atlanta Braves my whole life. I think they've got one. Oh, I know they have one. Do they have two? I think they have more than one. Well, you know what? They yeah. have one in Milwaukee, but I think they only have one in Atlanta. Um, right. And, and, and if my memory serves me correctly, the Yankees did beat the Braves in the World Series in the 90s. 19, in, case, in case you forgot. 1996. I'll never forget. Oh, gosh. After the, <laughs> yeah. I just got to say this and then we're going to get to the deep stuff. <laughs> after the Braves went up two games to nothing in Yankee Stadium, we beat the Yankees the first and then we go back to Atlanta and we lose three in a row. Painful. I'm still, That's right. Mo, Mo needs to counsel me on that. Maybe we'll get there later in the episode. Mm-hmm. Um, but folks, let me just say this. Dr. Hannah would never say this. Mo would never say this about himself, but he is a absolute superstar in the field of psychiatry, okay? And in my opinion, and I would say broad, more broadly, his, his practice is very successful. And I know that when I think about getting a Christian perspective on mental health matters, this is the person that I think of more than anyone else. Mm-hmm. So again, we are very privileged to have uh, Mo with us today. Mm-hmm. And Mo, we want to get into a topic that I know that you are uh, immersed in, 
uh, in your in your practice, in your thinking, in your writing, which is this question of are we in a teen mental health crisis? And I want Betsy to go ahead and ask the first question here uh, about this topic. Yeah. So Mo, you and your colleagues are on the front lines. Um, what are you seeing with teen anxiety and depression and everything that goes along with that these days? So one of the things that has been pretty obvious to, I'm going to assume, almost everybody um, who is in the trenches uh, seeing kids and teens, there has been an explosive increase in both depression, anxiety, and mental health challenges in general. And the interesting thing is this all predated COVID. Mm. So if you had asked me this question two years ago, I would have said the same thing. Mm. And most of the most of the data from uh, nationwide surveys over the last ten years or so has pointed out a pretty significant increase in depression, anxiety, suicide, suicide. Both I hate to say it, thinking and completion. Mm. Um, there is a, there is a sense of. Um, of, of an explosion that is out of control. I think for a lot of people who are in the mental health world, it's written about in medical journals. It's certainly written about in non-medical journals. Um, I've never, I've never come across this many articles in publications, non, non-professional publications about mental health. Everywhere I look, we're all talking about mental health. Mm. The news, you know, I don't know if anybody still watches, the, you know, the nightly news, but, you know, they, they talk about kids and teen mental health crises all the time. Mm. And we're certainly seeing that. Schools are seeing it. Clinicians are seeing it. And a lot of families are experiencing it. Mm. Wow. So, Mo, you've, you've been in practice, I believe, over 20 years, if, if my math is right. Um, how- I start, yeah, I started, in, I started in practice in, in 2002. Okay. So we're okay. so we're coming up on I guess 19 years at the end of June okay. in, in, in okay. practice. But I started my training in 97. So. 97. Okay. So like residency and that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So how is what we're seeing today different from what you saw in let's say 97 when you first started making rounds with, you know, the supervisors and that sort of thing? How, what are we seeing that's different? I think what we're seeing that's different is the sheer number of kids and teens who are struggling. There's a, there's a tremendous increase in the number of kids. I am sure when we were growing up, there were kids and teens who struggled with depression and anxiety. Mm-hmm. The, the part that's remarkable to me is the number of how many and to the degree of it. I'll give you an example. I was talking to a colleague earlier today and we were lamenting the challenge that we currently have in the New York metropolitan area of finding inpatient psychiatric beds for our patients. Wow. Where the, wait, where the waits are horrible, where people are waiting in emergency rooms for days sometimes wow. that we can't find a bed for our patients. And so then we as clinicians are having to help kids and try to keep them safe outside of the hospital because we can't find a hospital bed for them. Wow. That is that is sobering because this is something we've seen progressively worsen um, over the last, certainly, I'm going to say over the last 10 years, where the number of kids who struggle, in my mind, sometimes I will use the words out of control because we can't find even inpatient beds, sometimes even um, what we call more intensive treatment, like out, intensive outpatient programs where they all have waiting lists. 
Um, and, it, and so that's, that's why we know that the number of kids who are struggling is so high. And then they're struggling to such a degree that they need to be hospitalized. Hmm. Wow. And, and folks, just to give some perspective here, Mo works in the metro New York area. This is the largest metropolitan area in our nation. Hmm. Um, and, and, and I guess, I, I, mean, I mean, I guess my point is, of course, and, you're and, gonna- not only, and not only that, Josh, there is more probably mental health resources in our area than anyone else in the country or probably in the world. Hmm. Wow. There is more psychiatrist therapists probably in our area than anywhere else. Hmm. So, wow. so, so we're not talking about an under-resourced area in terms of access to care in northern New Jersey, but most practices are extremely busy. It's not just our practice. Hmm. So the data is clear. So Betts, why don't you go ahead and ask the big question? Ask the next yeah, one. Well then, Mo, the million dollar question is, what do you think is causing this explosion in um, teen mental health problems? Yeah. That's, that's the that's real a, question. That's a great question. That's, by the way, that could be, that could be uh, like 400 page book. Yes, that's right. Of, uh, that's right. Answer that. So this sure. is a very so much are, an overview. <laughs> yeah, there yeah. are there are so many variables at play here. Just break we, them down for us. Yeah, we are we are living in a time of um, where there has been a total breakdown of the social structure of our society. There is a there is a huge unpredictability to kids' lives, and I'm gonna I'm, I kind of say this half joking, but. Um, I, I consider my practice in two phases, pre-smartphone, post-smartphone. Hmm. Wow. There, I, I can think back to the kinds of conversations I was having with kids before smartphones and social media and the explosion that we've seen and post-social media. It, it, was, almost, it was almost like a different, um, a different era, even though it's been in my lifetime. So there has been... I, I believe a very clear, um, basically, I don't want to blame just smartphones, right? It's just one variable, but there has been a very clear worsening in kids and teens mental health since smartphones hit the market. Hmm. And, there, and, and people have written volumes of articles and books about this, right? This mm-hmm. has been discussed um, extensively, but we've certainly seen this clinically. The, the nature of the me and my phone by myself and needing to process who I am as a kid in, in isolation frequently from family, um, you know, where I can be holed up in my room by myself trying to navigate through whether it's Instagram or it was originally Facebook, right? Mm-hmm. You know, and then, you know, it's Snapchat, TikTok, you, you name it where I, I have to process what's happening and I got to do it very, very quickly mm. uh, because I am now petrified of what my peer group is going to think of me. Mm. And, and, it's, and it's resulted in a tremendous amount of anxiety and insecurity in kids that they're just not mature enough to process. Mm. Mm. One of the things that a lot of people forget is that we as a society traditionally have always thought of development and maturity of when kids can do certain things, right? We, there's age when you could start driving a car. Mm-hmm. There's an age when you could vote. There's an age when you can go in the military. There's, there's the age when you can rent a car, mm-hmm. right? You can't rent a car if you're 21 mm-hmm. <laughs> and it, and it, or when you can have alcohol or so on and so forth. However, 
somehow this was missed when, when this technology was introduced to kids who are, whose brains have not matured, whose brains are going to mature into their mid to late twenties when we're, when you really reach full maturity, but we introduced it to kids who are still developing, who do not have the social emotional maturity, nor the impulse control to navigate what they're being forced to have to navigate. Hmm. And I think that combination has resulted in a tremendous increase in anxiety. And a lot of times when you have a lot of anxiety in kids, you get subsequent depression hmm. because it, they can't manage their emotions. They can't manage how they're feeling. They're overwhelmed, stressed out on a regular basis chronically. And as a result, they get down, they get depressed, they get negative about themselves. And then it goes into issues of identity and hmm. who am I and what does this mean? And, and how do I navigate this more and more increasingly complex world? Well, so that's just one variable. <laughs> Yeah, Mo, an interesting thing, this is just an observation, but not only is it what our kids are exposed to and dealing with on their smartphone, but it's also what a smartphone replaces in the children's lives, like in-person interaction with people or, you know, going outside and playing a game with other kids or um, things like that. So not only are they exposed to other things, but they're also missing out on things that kids have always done. I totally agree. That's a great point that it's not just about content. It's the nature of the device itself is lending itself to doing life differently. Mm -hmm. it, from, and in many different ways, and, and, and that's probably true for all of us, right? We text frequently now, right? Much that's more right. than we pick up the phone and, and talk to somebody. Mm -hmm. so, so, so even the ability to learn to communicate with peers, which is one of the main um, tasks of, of, of childhood and adolescence is to learn how to navigate um, communication with peers, whether same gender or, or opposite gender, right? Where you learn what, what to say, what not to say, reading body language, facial expressions, being able to read emotions. Well, none of that's happening mm -hmm. because it's all by either texting or using the use of social media. Mm -hmm. um, I'll, I'll give you an example because I still, I still remember this conversation where one of my patients, this is years ago, this is when texting was very early on, was texting some inappropriate things to someone else. And I, and I kind of posed a question to them and I said, would you ever say that face to face? And he said to me, well, of course not. I would never say that to their face. And I said, but what makes you think it's okay to text it? And they looked dumbfounded to me as if that, <laughs> that didn't, that wasn't how it worked. And I'm like, but you just did communicate that to them, That's right. which was very inappropriate language mm. and pictures and things of that sort. Mm. Um, so, so even the ability to learn to how to communicate is being formed and shaped by technology. I think for, in a much more problematic way that already has negative consequences. Mm. So Mo, if I can use some generational language, um, it's my understanding that Gen Z are those who were born in the year roughly 2000 and later. And, and millennials is, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah, millennials is like 83 to 2000 or something like that. So, yeah. um, so would you say that a lot of Gen Z kids and, and people in that generation, literally they, they communicate in different ways than prior generations? 
and maybe that's always true, but I'm just trying to, I'm just digging into this, what you're saying here. Yeah, and, that, and that's my sense. And that's my sense. My sense is they are, but I also think what's happening then as a result of that, the way they're responding emotionally mm. is, is becoming a huge challenge mm. because, because it's a very, um, a very reactive medium, right? You're, you're forced to respond very, very quickly. Yeah. to what you're being confronted with, what you, what is being presented to you, where there is no time to think through what, it, what is really happening, what's actually going on, what is my friend saying or not saying. Mm. And, and there's this tremendous pressure that I have to react to this in some sort of way. As a result, we see a lot of emotional reactivity and one of the things that we've seen a tremendous increase in is self-harm that's done impulsively. Mm. And what I mean by that is that it's not premeditated. It's not that this is somebody who's been struggling with self-harm thoughts for days or weeks. This is where they haven't had these thoughts. And all of a sudden, there's some seeming crisis as a result of some interaction with a peer usually where obviously a negative interaction where there's either been um, some either an actual put down, an actual negative comment being made or a negative feedback or the one, of course, is where, you know, kids are ghosted, where they're totally ignored and where all of a sudden there is an increasing inability in a lot of kids to manage negative emotions hmm. where the emotions is so intense and they have not learned how to navigate through it and how to emotionally handle a negative situation. And then this is where we're seeing increasing thoughts of cutting, suicide, you know, kind of acts, things of that nature. Hmm. Hmm. So obviously smartphones, technology, you know, all of this is a huge thing that you're dealing with. Um, what are, what are you seeing as some other factors that are playing into where we are? I mean, I'm sure everything is kind of intermeshed, you know, not like you can draw neat separations necessarily, but what do you think are some yeah. other things that are contributing? I think the, one of the other things that, and I think it's a, it's a big one. I, I think the ideas in the culture, the worldview in the culture is directly leading to the mental health crisis. Hmm. And let me tell you what I mean by that. There is, there is um, a, a sense in so many kids, right, that this is all there is. Hmm. There's, there's, there, my life is all about having fun, being successful, making as much money as I can, and having, you know, whatever m most kind of glamorous life I can and that's it. Hmm. So, so the culture is teaching and discipling kids of what gives life meaning. And it's empty. Hmm. What, what, what they're being told gives life meaning is um, you got to achieve, you got to perform, and you got to acquire. Hmm. So the more, right? So you, you got to perform, you got to acquire, and then Part of the part of part of the interesting thing is, which is you know the whole FOMO thing is is also pleasure, having fun. Hmm. And so there's a lot of kids who will say, well, but my life is not that enjoyable. It's not fun. Everyone else is having more fun. I should be having more fun. 
Why, why am I not having more fun? Wow. So you get, and, you and get it, asked it, that question? Like, why am, oh, why yeah. am I not having more fun? Boredom, boredom, Josh and Betsy, boredom is such a common complaint of kids. Mm. They're wow. bored. They're, and this, by the way, leads to, this is what leads to the binge watching the Netflix, right? Mm. The porn um, mm. epidemic, mm. the video game addiction, the marijuana, um, you know, that's, that's about to become a total epidemic and mm. pandemic, whatever word you want to use, that's going to explode even more. Um, because, because there's boredom, there's, there's a sense of monotony that I must break Hmm. because then I'm not allowed to feel that way. Right. I shouldn't feel that way. Life is supposed to be exciting and fun all the time. Hmm. And I got to have pleasure. So, so, so this is where worldview ideas matter. So the ideas that the culture has been teaching for several generations, probably going back to the sixties, um, is, is really, we're seeing now downstream the impact. Hmm. Those ideas matter. Those ideas of who I am, what, what makes life have purpose and meaning has a direct correlation to the mental health crisis. Wow. The, the, the philosophers get the last laugh. Um, I, I see ideas have power. Mm-hmm. But could you take a moment to talk about social media influencers and in turn, I mean, what what role as we're digging into this social media thing and I'm hearing kids, I want to have fun, I want pleasure, I want a good time. Are, are you, can you draw a straight line from that to what they're seeing on social media and these different influencers? I, I don't know if I could draw a straight line, but you have to remember social media influencers, it's just a symptom, right? Mm. That's, a, that's a symptom of who we are as a culture. Mm. It, it, it's not... Um, it's not the primary disease. The, mm-hmm. To me, the underlying disease is one of, it, it's, a, it's spiritual, right? To, I mean, th- that's the reality. It, mm-hmm. It's a spiritual issue. Mm-hmm. It's a spiritual issue about what am I pursuing? What's my, wh- where do I derive my ultimate worth? Wh- who do I worship? Mm-hmm. Who am I? What gives me worth as a person? And so social media influencers are just, they're just emblematic of, who we are as a society that where we elevate celebrity, where we elevate people who are promoting whatever the latest fad is, you know, whatever the is going to make us happy, whatever is going to make us, you know, successful, make us beautiful, whatever it is. To me, those are all symptoms of a, of a deeper issue. Mm. Um, and they're just reflections of who we've become as a society and kids are not, I don't think have been taught how to discern when they're being marketed to 24 seven, when they're being discipled into what is a good life. Mm-hmm. They don't, wow. they don't see it, right? They get, they get stuck into it. And to be honest, adults get sucked into it. That's right. right. Yep. But, 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 but the marketing, it's all marketing. It's all branding. It's all business. Um, and it's all selling certain ideas to kids. They're just promoting and, and branding certain ideas to kids that I think directly are contributing to the mental health issue. Mm. But it all starts with the basic spiritual philosophical worldview foundation where there's no God, mm. there's no purpose, there's no meaning. Mm. Mm. This is a great place to uh, take a pause right now. Just remind everybody, this is Intersect, where church meets culture. We are talking to Dr. Mohanna 
about are we in a teen mental health crisis? Clearly, the answer to that is yes. Mm-hmm. And uh, we want to we want to ask you to listen to part two of this episode, uh, where we will continue this conversation with Dr. Hannah. Please remember to follow us on Facebook. All right, everybody. We'll see you next time.